Today is a, a really special day in that we have a very special guest speaker uh, with us today. Pastor Steve Stroop comes from the Dallas area in Texas, and he's been, he and, and Lake Point Church have been an absolutely key partner, uh, partner church with us since the living room days. Uh, I can't do it justice with the few moments I have to introduce him here, but uh, Pastor Steve has been, uh, had, had led Lake Point Church for 40 years ministering there. God, through his leadership, built that church up from scratch to about 14,000 people. And what's pretty incredible is over the last 10 years or so, they have been strategically partnering with churches, about 100 now, that are targeting areas in the United States that are not known for being receptive towards Christianity. And so we thank God for Lake Point Church. I, I will never forget the first time we met. It was what I thought at the time as a chance encounter, but it was a God-ordained moment, I'm, I am certain now. Uh, Cindy and I were attending a church planning conference down in the Southern California area. This is well before we thought about current or starting a church, but we were there and we went to a nuts and bolts church planting seminar that Pastor Steve was leading. And about halfway through, I leaned over to Cindy and I and mind you, I was saying this as a kid of church planners. I said to Cindy, we've got to meet this guy. I mean, he really knows what he's talking about. It's a little bit of an understatement. We went up, met him afterwards, and we left that day. Cindy looked at me. I, it's all clear in my mind. I remember it visually. She said, that was a Holy Spirit moment. Amen. Well, if you pass, yeah, yeah, amen. And I'll say it to the tune of this. If not for God working through Pastor Steve and Lake Point Church, current would not be current as we know it today, seeing the fruit that we're seeing. So can we put our hands together to especially thank... Pastor Steve, thank you, Dave. and really thank God for churches like Lake Point that are doing incredible things. Thank you, Bob. It is so good to be with you guys. It has been a delight to uh, have friendship with Dave and Cindy, and you guys already know what special people they are and how blessed you guys are to have them as your leaders here. Uh, but just let me just say uh, an echo and amen to that. And uh, it's so good to be able to be with you on a weekend. Uh, in fact, at my age, I'm glad to be anywhere on a weekend. I actually turned 70 next month. Uh, last August, uh, Marsha and I were able to celebrate our 50 years of marriage. Uh, we were sitting, uh, we went up to Lake Tahoe to spend some time together to celebrate that. We were sitting at a dinner one night. And she looked across the table. We had candles. It was a very romantic time. And she said, I'm tired of you. <laughs> and I thought, well, goodness. And I said, excuse me? And, I, and she said, I'm tired, aren't you? <laughs> so I was glad to get that clarified. Uh, but, you know, I, I traveled back to when Marsh and I, we actually dated all through high school and we went off to college together, and after our freshman year of college, we married very young. And uh, we got married, and we had uh, been in school for another couple of years, and we were, uh, wow, we were, I was pastoring a little country church. Uh, we were both full-time students. Marsha had a job as a professor's administrative assistant. I was also working as a janitor at a little kindergarten in town. We were, it was a frantic time, and I looked around the house one day, and there was, uh, there was laundry on the floor. There was dishes in the sink. Uh, beds were unmade. And I'm kind of a strategic person. That's just how God created me. I can't help it. Uh, as my wife says, I'm strategic even when nobody wants me to be. Uh, 
And, and I thought, you know what, we, we can solve this problem. And so I said to Marsha, I think I have an answer for our, our house being in disarray. Shit, that'd be great. And I said, let's have kids. <laughs> okay? Now, of course, I'm teasing because you don't have kids to clean up the house. You know, give one of them uh, laundry duties, one of them cooking duties, one of them to clean up. But you know what? When we did finally have kids after three years of marriage, as we were graduating from college, undergrad, uh, we had two girls, and as they grew up, we did ask them to make their own beds. We did teach them to how to do laundry, so when they went off to university, their, all their clothes weren't pink, you know, <laughs> because they did the reds with the whites, and we taught them how to cook. But we gave them chores, not so much to help us, but we gave them responsibilities so they would grow up and mature, and so they wouldn't be self-centered you know, the same thing is true when it comes to our finances. We're going to be talking about that very touchy subject this morning about money. But you need to understand something. God's not in the business of raising money. God doesn't need our money. God's in the business of raising his kids. And here's what I found. I've seen miracles over my lifetime. Miracles about how God has worked to provide things for churches that they would never be able to provide for themselves. But most of the time, what God does is God gives resources to individual church members who say they follow Jesus and that Jesus is the most important thing in their life. And then he gives them more than they need and he asks them to release a little bit of it. And he's not doing that because he wants our money. He's doing that because he wants us to grow up. He wants us to be involved in something beyond ourselves. And it's in that spirit that I want us to look at our uh, scripture today. Our scripture comes from Matthew, the sixth chapter. And it simply, it talks about uh, this whole concept. It says in verse 19, it says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for your treasure, uh, for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key verse, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Today I want to talk about your treasure and I want to talk about your heart. And the fact that they are linked together and that if we'll do what God has asked us to do with our treasure, then our heart will be affected. And that's really what God cares about. He cares about the size of our heart. Now, two key principles that the Bible talks about when it talks about our resources, our, our treasure, it talks about, first of all, that we're to make our treasure. Or somebody might say, we're, we're to make our money. Now, it's actually, just want to be sure you get this, that it's illegal in the United States to make your own money, okay? <laughs> but what the scripture here is talking about is about producing a regular income. And all of us have ability, almost all of us have the ability to do that. In Second Thessalonians, the third chapter, uh, it says this, it says, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Now that sounds pretty harsh, but that basically is very clear that if you will not work, it, now it doesn't say if you cannot work, there are people who cannot work uh, because of health reasons or maybe even, you may even be in a situation where you've just lost your job and right now you don't have the ability to make money. Although I will say this is when you're unemployed and able, your full-time job is to find a job. And you ought to be putting in 40 hours plus in a creative, energetic way to find that next opportunity that you can provide not only for yourself and not be a burden on others, not be a burden on your church, not be a burden on the government, uh, not be a burden on your family, but also so that you have enough that you can actually help people who don't have a choice 
and who cannot work. And so that's the first thing. And I don't want us to move past that too quickly. You can't manage your money in a God-honoring way if you don't have any money. So that's the first principle. Second principle we're going to spend most of our time on today, in a very practical way, by the way, is that we're to make a plan for our money. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and there's a lot of them that I love, but in Luke, the 14th chapter, it it talks about a principle that a lot of people haven't uh, laid hold of yet. In in, in Luke 14, 28, it says this, this, for for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not not first go out and calculate, uh, calculate rather the cost of it to make sure he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. And then it goes on to say, saying this man is built, but he was not able to finish. We got to have a plan. Somebody once said, if you don't have a plan for your money, there are other people who do. All right? And if you don't tell your money where to go, you will wonder where it went. Okay? And so we need to be proactive. And the reality is that most people, and I would think probably in this room today, or those of you who are listening to us online, most people don't have a plan. They're reactionary, and there are people who will take advantage of the fact that you respond in emotion, or you respond out of crisis, or you respond in the moment. They make a living. They spend billions of dollars to get your money to go where they want it to go, rather than you being a good steward of the resources God has given you, and you planning where that would go. Now, a good plan, a good biblical plan is going to have four parts to it. We'll make it simple today. It's going to have a part of giving. It's going to have a part that includes savings. It's going to have a part that includes debt reduction. And then finally, in this order, it's going to determine your lifestyle. Now, here's the problem is a lot of people get that reversed. And what they do is they start with their lifestyle, where they're living, what they're driving, how many times they go out to eat, what they spend on entertainment. And then if they have anything left, they deal with debt reduction, savings, and giving. And that's where the problem is. We need to do it in the God order. And when we do, it's a a crazy thing that you could actually be involved in giving and and be generous to others and invest in things that will last forever. And it actually gets your life in order. Because for the very first time in your life, you're being intentional. And so let's begin there. Let's begin with giving. In 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter... There's a wonderful verse, and there's so much there. We could spend a lot of time there. But in verse 7, it says this. It says, let each one of you uh, give, or let each one of, uh, of you give, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Then I love verse 10. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, it says several things here. One, it says that nobody becomes a generous person or a giver by accident. It says, just as you have purposed in your heart. There was a decision when I was a young man, and I was so excited to hear about your baptisms. Uh, that I decided to follow Jesus Christ and it changed everything for me. But then I had some other, that was the big yes, but I had some other little yeses that need to follow that. And there was a time when I said yes to him in terms of purposing in my heart that I wasn't going to consume everything on me. Can you imagine a farmer 
who is given seed and he turns that seed into bread and he eats it all himself. And he doesn't plant any of it and so he doesn't have anything for tomorrow and he doesn't have anything to share with anybody else. Purpose in your heart to be a generous purpose, a person. Have you made that decision yet? You may have made a decision to follow Christ, but you haven't made a decision to be a generous person. A person who not only provides for yourself, but also makes room to provide for other people. Uh, there are five kinds of giver in this room today. I guarantee you. And I want to encourage everybody in this room, except for those who are on the top level, who are already living that kind of generous life, I'm going to encourage you just to take a baby step toward obedience. Can I do that? Just a baby step. It's not like you're standing at the bottom of the stairs and I'm challenging you today to flat-footed go to the top of the stairs. Would you just take a little step? Would you just take that first step up? That first step up. Just go from here to here. I just messed up our camera terribly right now. <laughs> okay? But that's okay. So there's some of you who right now you give nothing. You spend everything on yourself. It's all about you. You've, you've never helped a, a neighbor who's lost their job. You've never helped a, a, a person in your family who truly has a need, not enabling them, but helping them do, through a tough time. You've never invested $1 in current church or any other church that's helping people get their lives together, get their marriages healthy, to raise their kids in the right way, or spend eternity in heaven. It's all spent on you. And I'm going to encourage you just to take a baby step and just start giving something. Some of you need to hear that today. Um, the second baby step is to start giving something, uh, move from something to significant. Some of you are already giving something. You give what I call an easy gift, okay? That's like uh, in our church when I was growing up, they used to pass an offering plate. And there were people who'd be sitting there and the offering plate would start coming toward them. And they would in their head start hearing the theme music from the first Jaws movie as it got closer <laughs> and closer to them. And they're thinking, I want to throw something in there that doesn't make noise, Okay. <laughs> And they're hoping they can find a $1 bill, but they'll put a 5 in if they have to, okay? Some of you are there right now, okay? In other words, you spend more on your lattes every week than you invest in people's eternity, okay? And it doesn't change you at all to give that 5 bucks, that 10 bucks, or whatever. I'm going to encourage you to take a baby step and move from something to significant. Now, let me define significant. Significant is some percentage of your income some percentage two percent three five seven you figure out you and God get together about what a baby step is where where you're only giving when the plate comes by or you're only give when there's a sad story about a deal, and you, okay I'll give so you're giving out of emotion or you're giving out of peer pressure or whatever and, and instead you give a regular consistent gift whether you feel like it or not and it, it reflects how God has blessed you. Now here's why a significant gift is significant. Is you have to pull out a calculator. <laughs> you do. And you have to say this and you have to, this is so important. You have to consider how much God has blessed you. Have you considered that lately? How much God has blessed you? Anybody go hungry this week? Anybody be out in the elements because you didn't have a roof over your head? You complain about how expensive, and it is expensive to live here, isn't it? But you're living somewhere, aren't you? And you had a warm bed, right? And you had food to eat. And somehow you were able to get to the doctor. You may have an outstanding bill there, but you're, 
you're doing. And, and so when you sit down and say, okay, this is how much I came in. I'm going to give 2%. And you pull out the calculator. And here's the other cool thing is, is if God blesses you more, then the gift automatically goes up more. To him who received little, little is required. Him who has received much, much is required. And so a significant gift is a, is a commitment to give even when you don't feel like it, even when you're not emotionally moved. Nobody tells a deathbed story. You just consider, okay, this year I got a raise. I'm going to be given more. Now, some of you are already there. You didn't think about it as a percentage, but for the last four or five years, you give $200 a month to current church or some other benevolent agency. And you would consider today taking a baby step to move toward threshold giving. Now, what is threshold giving? Threshold giving, hang on to your seats here, is 10%. That may take you a couple of years to get there. You may move from 2 to 5 to 7 to 10. It may take you 2 or 3 years to get there. But you move to threshold giving. And the reason that I call it threshold giving, it is at that point that you're giving enough that it actually changes your heart. You're going to have to readjust your lifestyle. You're going to have to sacrifice something if you start giving God what the Bible calls your first fruit. I also call it threshold giving because it's at that point that you're crossing a threshold that you'll find in both the Old and in the New Testament that we give God the first 10%. And why do we give him the first 10%? Give him the first 10% because it represents the fact that he is the one who gave us all of it. It's symbolic. And that we are going to live with the other 90% like he wants us in a way that honors him. Does that make sense? It's at that threshold now, some of you are already there. Some of you had the privilege, like I did growing up in a home where the Bible was taught, and I was taught threshold giving. I remember the very first time I mowed a lawn, and I made my first real money. I made 10 bucks for mowing the front and the back, edging, sweeping, taking the, that's how old I am, okay? 10 bucks. And I, and I got this money, and I was so excited about it, and I went home, and uh, Dad said, well, what'd you get paid? And he said, I got $10. And so Dad said, let's have a moment together. We sat down at the kitchen table. I remember like it was yesterday. We sat at the kitchen table, and he took my, ten, it was a $10 bill, but he took his billful out, and he changed that $10 bill to a five and five ones, which I thought was strange. <laughs> I knew it was the same money, but why did he break it up? And he put his finger on one of the dollars and he slid it over, and he says, Steve, do you know what you're going to do with this dollar? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, you're going to take that dollar to church this Sunday, and you're going to put it in the offering plate. And what you're going to do is you're going to worship him by putting that in. What you're going to say is, God, I could not have mowed that lawn without you. You gave me air for my lungs. You gave me feet to walk. You gave me the muscle so that I can push that more. God, I owe the whole thing to you, and I want to honor you by giving you the first dollar. Guys, I'm just a kid, but that makes all the sense in the world to me. And I'm thinking, I'm also thinking to myself, God only just wants one of those dollars? This is a, this is a pretty good deal. I like this religion, okay? Because he could have asked for half or $6 because he's more important than anything else. One buck, one buck, I can do this. And then my dad took his finger and he touched the second dollar and he slid that off in a different direction. And then I started to worry. <laughs> and he said, you know what you're going to do with this? I said, no, sir, I don't know. He said, you're going to take this down to the Trinity Savings and Loan there on Buckner Boulevard. And you're going to open up a savings account. 
And the reason you're going to do that is because one of these days you're probably going to want to go to college. Your mom and I weren't able to do that. But this day and age, I don't know how you can get a decent job without going to college. So you may or may not go. But if you go to college, you're going to pay for half of it. And one of these days, I know you're going to want to drive a car. And if you drive a car, it will be because you've paid for half of it. And so you better get started. And we literally went down. I don't even know you could do that today, open up a savings account with a dollar. <laughs> Maybe, I, I don't know that you could do it then. Maybe my dad called the president of the bank because he went to our church and made arrangements. And, <laughs> but I got this little savings account. And every time that I, if I've made $100, I would take $10 down there and my dad would match it at the same time. And he was matching every dollar that I put in there for that savings. And I paid for my college. And I paid for my car. Actually, because dad was putting I paid for half of my college, half of my car. That was one of the best things that my parents ever did because they got me to be intentional about living by the 10-10-80 plan. Now, some of you don't live by the 10-10-80 plan. Some of you are living by the 0-0-165 plan. <laughs> by the way, how's that working? You see, God's way is a better way. God's way is a better way. But you see, we get so scared when we begin to talk about 10% going to the Lord. There, there is a level, by the way, above threshold giving. It's called spirit-led sacrificial giving. That's where after you bring the 10% to the church that you call home, that's providing for your family and for your spiritual enrichment, and more importantly, reaching other people in your community for God's glory, that you begin to let the Spirit of God lead you to give to other organizations, benevolent organizations. Again, uh, neighbors who are out of work or sick relatives, people who truly need help, and God has given you more than you need. Uh, I know people who don't live by the 10, 10, 80 plan. I know people who live by the 20, 20, 60 plan. And they're some of the happiest, most successful uh, people I know. You can live on 80% of your income. You really can. The, the first part of the plan is, is giving. The second part is saving. And that speaks to that 10-10-80 plan. And when you save, there, there's different levels that you can save at. You can save, first of all, for an emergency fund. So that when an emergency happens, and by the way, they happen in a fallen world, don't they? You don't have to put it on the credit card. And you don't have to borrow somebody else's money to... And, and then in addition to that, pay them 13 to 21% interest to use their money. You, do you realize when you do that on a regular basis, you're actually going to have less? I mean, that's, that's stupid selfishness. At least be smart in your selfishness. Uh, emergency fund so that when that, those tires, all of a sudden uh, there's a blowout and you realize that there's no more tread on them when the refrigerator goes out, you're able to pay cash for those depreciating assets. So an emergency fund, uh, uh, at least to have one month's income that you have an emergency fund. And then you want to start looking at short-term goals. You realize that Christmas is not an emergency. You do realize that. <laughs> Christmas happens every year. And uh, we know we're going to spend a certain amount of money. So why wouldn't I be saving for that all through the year proactively so that when Christmas comes, I can stay in that Christmas bone uh, the budget and buy those things instead of putting it on a card and paying for it after. It's the same money, paying for it after I paid, in addition, paying interest. 
So I have short-term goals like uh, Christmas, and I have uh, short-term goals like, you know, we, we used to buy one piece of furniture for our house every year. That was our anniversary gift to each other. And so we saved up all year long, and then, then we had the money to buy that, and we could do that faster if we saved the money before instead of paying the money after and paying somebody for their money. Does that make sense? And then those long-term goals. So we had two daughters, and we knew that they would go to school one day. And we knew that we had a part responsibility in that, and we provided for that. And, and, and then there were, we knew there was a time in my life where I may not work for money anymore. And if I could save in such a way that I would be able to have my basic needs met after that and then have the wonderful freedom at this stage in my life to work for people and not have to charge them, uh, that would be greater freedom to work in my unique ability than ever before in my life. And, and, and when you plan for those emergency funds and when you save for those short-term goals and when you save for those long-term goals, you realize that a, a family making only $55,000, total household income making only $55,000 a year, if they live by the 10-10-80 plan, that when they become 65, they will have given almost a quarter of a million dollars to God's work. And they will have $2.5 million in their retirement fund. A family only makes $55,000. That's called the result of long obedience. Isn't that fun? That's how God's plan works. And, and then there's debt reduction. And debt reduction is a form of savings, actually. Because you typically cannot make in the stock market, the stock market will average anywhere from 8 to 10% over a long period of time, over a decade. Uh, paying off debt where you're paying 13 to 21% is actually a, form, a better form of savings to get rid of that. And all of us know how to do, I think all of us know how to do the snowball. You just take the basic, the smallest debt that you have and you pay it off. Put as much money as you can. Pick up some extra jobs. Have a garage sale. Put off buying a new car. And you, and you, you eliminate that debt, and then you take that money that you were spending to pay off that debt, and you roll it down, you snowball it, or you roll it over, and you add it to paying off on the back end of another debt. And you do that until you're debt-free. Uh, it does not make sense to have debt on depreciating assets. And yet the average American will have somewhere around $15,000 in credit card debt, where they are paying for a meal that they ate five years ago today. A lot more money than that meal was worth. And then the last part of that plan is your lifestyle. And your lifestyle, I've, I've actually made an acrostic for lifestyle. If we can look at it on the screen real quick. So the L stands for uh, where, you're, where you're living, okay? And I realize that's very expensive here, okay? And that's why we start there. And then it's your insurance, and then it's your food, and then it's your entertainment, and then it's seasonal, like I said, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries. There's your transport, there's your clothes. I'm sorry, that's as close as I could get. I had to, <laughs> had to make it work, okay? And then there are legal and taxes and everything else. Now, here's the reality. If we give and if we save and we reduce stupid past mistakes... Our lifestyle is our lifestyle. You do realize that you're living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, don't you? Guys, we're in the top 1% of the world in terms of lifestyle. It's hard to feel sorry for any of us 
of what's left once we give, once we save, once we reduce debt. But when we flip it, guys, it's exponential in the problems that it causes and the disobedience that's involved. You see, what I want to do is I want to make my money and then I want to make a plan for my money. And when I do, I will make a difference. Make a difference with my life. And the money is just one area where I can make a difference. I also need to be a steward of my influence. I also need to be a steward of my time. You show me your Outlook calendar and you show me your checking account or your a credit card account or your bank account, I'll tell you what's important to you. I'll tell you where your heart is. And that's really what God's trying to get to. He's trying to get to our heart. There was this lady who walked into a place to get her car repaired. And uh, it was one of those little dirty places and found out there had no loaner and she was going to have to be there for a while. And it was kind of grungy and uh, she was hungry. And so she looked over there and all there was was this little, little uh, bad quality cookies, and but she went ahead and got her a pack of cookies, and she sat down at this little table. And there was a fellow who was sitting across from her. She was not in the mood to talk to him because she was upset about having to get her car fixed. But after a while, she was sitting there, and she reached out to get a cookie, and the man sitting across from her at the table reached out and grabbed a cookie. She thought, who in this world does this guy think he is? And so after a little while, she reached out for a second cookie, and he got a second cookie. And, and then b before she knew it, he got the last cookie, smiled real big, broke it in half, and handed her half of the cookie. She was so mad, she stormed away from her table, only then to realize that her cookies were still in her purse. She was eating his cookies. See, that's the problem. When I started this message, some of you thought, this church is trying to get my cookies. <laughs> if we're honest, what you need to understand is they're not your cookies. Everything we have, the air you're breathing right now, is a gift from a God of generosity, and we're his children. And he wants us to reflect his generosity by being a conduit. And here's what the Bible says, and I've experienced it. If we will give, he will give to us because he knows that we will give. It's not to get rich. It's to give. I have some regrets in my life, in my last 69 years, of how I spent my money. A lot of them are in my clothes closet, okay? But I have never regretted one single dollar invested in the kingdom of heaven. Eight years ago, I put money, I put some of my money in an offering plate, and some of that went to current church. And we were standing before the service, the production meeting before the service, talking about the flow of the service. And David mentioned somebody who had just given their life to Jesus Christ. And I thought about the difference that made in my life, in my marriage, in my children's lives, in my five grandkids' life. We're all changed because of that. And somebody put money in a plate years before that so that I could hear the gospel. And I thought when David talked about that person being saved and the welcome 
meeting the other day. I thought, that's a pretty good investment. That's a pretty good investment. You're invited. Nobody's forced to. It's voluntary. You're invited to have an unbelievable return, eternal return on your investments. Let me pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all your good gifts, and there's so many. Thank you for the financial resources that you put in our hands so that we can care for ourselves and our families. Help us, dear Father, to grow up. Help us to mature where we release a significant portion of it to make a difference for eternity. And I pray if there's somebody who needs to take a baby step today, go from nothing to something, to go from something to significant, to go from significant to threshold, or maybe even to move beyond that, to spirit-led sacrificial giving beyond the 10%, that you would give us the courage to trust you enough to prove yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Steve for bringing that word? feels weird coming out this way, but this is what I feel like is put on my heart. That cookie illustration hit me in the feels. That really hit me in the feels. Uh, Paul wrote to churches that partnered with him, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, Lake Point Church, Pastor Steve, has been living out sacrificially what he just talked about such that we wouldn't be here in a real sense if not God not for God working through their generosity and I just love the implicit call that God's given us invitation to as a church starting up in the Silicon Valley that's known for having resources to be a generous church and so I, I hope that you would join with us and what Pastor Steve just put before us this call and in taking on that that call and looking to give generously such that we can meet the needs in the church and in this community, but also start helping other churches around the U.S. and, and the world, people hear about Jesus. And man, if, if you really think about it, we get to give because we follow a giving God. And what a great backdrop to take this morning's offering and, and continue in worship. The usher team's going to come up now with, with the buckets. They'll start going around when the, the band begins to play, but... God didn't just create us. He doesn't just provide for us as if those things weren't enough. He gave us everything in his son, sending him to die on the cross for our sins. And so we get to give out of that. So I would just encourage you in this time, I know many of you give online as my family gives. Some of you guys give in person. That's, that's worship too in all, in all those ways. Let's take this moment with the backdrop of Pastor Steve's sermon and God's word to one, just take our gratitude for the Lord's provision in our lives. Number two, consider what call to action he might be asking of us. Maybe it's taking a, a baby step in, in one of those areas. And then three, joining with us as a church, asking God to help us steward the resources that he brings in for his kingdom advancement in this area and beyond. Let's sing.